0: Hey, Joe.
1: Yeah, yeah, Scott.
0: You've been telling me you're a genius since you were 17. In all the times I've known you, I still don't know what you mean.
1: Yeah, that sounds like me. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely have been telling people I'm a genius since I was 17.
0: Yeah, and you're here to do it today. That's right. On episode seven of Stealing in the Dan, yeah, that's right. It's our first <laughs> night record. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're shaking things up a lot. Uh, we've uh, we've been on a, a healthy hiatus. Uh, uh, this this show uh, believes in um, good labor practices, so we've yeah, taken a, yeah. a European style summer vacation.
1: Yeah, like a month off. <laughs> to yeah. you, the listener at home, it's been only what two weeks.
0: That's right. Um, because we also believe in good capitalist planning.
1: Yeah. At this point, if you're listening to this episode, we also still have yet to release at the time of this record, yet to release an episode yet. So this is a. Uh, yeah, I don't know why that's relevant. I just feel like it's a fun fact that yeah. you should know.
0: Time is a mystery. Um. Uh. But yeah. But we're back. We're here. We're 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 here at an unusual time. Um. But we are here in the usual pace with the uh, with the usual cast of characters to uh, to talk about. Uh, uh, track six off of Can't Buy a Thrill, Reeling in the Years. That's right. Beginning uh, also, of side two, right? That's right, yeah. First track off of off of uh, the second side. Uh, also here to talk about uh, Joe's pick from last week, uh, Like a Rolling Stone by Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. And my pick from last week, uh, uh, The Rules of Attraction, directed by Roger Avery. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, first up, the, uh, the star of the show, Reeling in the Years, our second Steely Dan single, yeah, the second single off of "Can't Buy a Thrill" dropped in 1972, shortly before the album.
1: B-side, the track that we talked about last two two weeks ago. It, I want to say last week uh, for us, it's a month ago. For the listener, <laughs> it was two weeks ago. If you
0: wanted to talk about the elderly, you should have called in two weeks ago. No, yeah. sorry. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that a Mr. Show reference? It is All right, Mr. Show, right? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, the B-side.
1: Only uh, a fool could say. Ah, that. okay, cool, yeah. Although I saw a picture of a single where Reeling in the Years with was a G it? was the B side for Dirty Work.
0: Well, that just seems wrong. Yeah, yeah. I don't know where they I refuse that. to accept, accept it. Uh, yeah. Some
1: like Bulgarian single <laughs> or something. <laughs>
0: the Bulgarian dance
1: remix. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, on a 12-inch. I remember that. was a good one. Uh, but yeah, um, uh, let's start as uh, as we always do. Get back to a sense of normalcy. Uh, okay. Producer Dakota, I feel like if there's a chance you've heard a Steely Dan song, it's this one. I was thinking about that. I don't think I've ever heard it. Okay, well, the streak right. is alive. Yeah. What'd, you, what'd you think? I thought it sounded a little bit like Queen. Okay. There's, okay. There's a very uh, specific point where it stopped sounding like Queen. And that's when they, like, it sounds like it all the way up to, like, reeling in the... And then they go real... years. Okay. <laughs> and at that point, I'm like, I know what era I'm
1: in. <laughs> <laughs> right. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is definitely one of the first Steely Dan tracks that I ever heard. Yeah. Like has got
0: Yeah, when I became aware that Steely Dan was a thing, this is like one of like the this is this is like part of the foundation of my awareness of steely dan it's like steely dan is the band that did Reelin' in the years
1: that's right yeah yeah it's a classic rock staple i feel like any list of like best guitar tracks best rock songs of all time it's gonna it's gonna be ranking on there somewhere yeah um yeah it's a it's one of their one of their big songs yeah or one of their biggest songs for sure
0: yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, as they said, the, the success of this single really uh, um, con- you know, like solidified their their thinking that uh, they didn't need David Palmer because Donald Fagan could carry a song. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah they
1: were fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Get rid yeah. of that asshole. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, and especially in this one, like he seems very. The lyric seems very confident to me.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, he packs a lot into each verse. There's, mm-hmm. it's a wordy song, like singing along to it is is somewhat challenging um yeah until you hit that fucking beautiful chorus <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and yeah. then it's just right on the rails for you yeah
1: i this yeah this uh i looked it up it hit number 11 on that's the right. board charts
0: just outside of the top 10 yeah that's right
1: which feels so fucking right for steely like right this yeah close, exactly this. something
0: would be wrong if they cracked the top 10 yeah, yeah. they're not a top 10 band
1: yeah I wonder if they ever did. We'll, we'll find out. We'll yeah, find out uh, when, if, if they ever did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so has it is, we'll uh, compress our usual track and I'll just ask you like, has anything, what has changed about your relationship to this song across the journey of like Stan, Steely Dan neophyte, Steely Dan fan, Steely Dan scholar?
1: I've heard this song hundreds of times in my life. I'm sure. Yeah. In the past couple of weeks, I've listened to it a lot. Yeah, it still fucking shreds every time. Yeah, it's it's still like still makes me happy. It does not uh, get old. No. It doesn't. It doesn't get old. And I kept waiting for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but every time, kind of that that guitar solo, yeah. awkwardly starts in the beginning of the song. It's <laughs> like I'm back in. Yeah, yeah. I, I I don't. It doesn't get old for me
0: yeah like you said it's its it, it's a it's a guitar nerd song it makes like every list of the greatest guitar solos of all time uh Jimmy Page said that it's his favorite guitar solo of all time uh, and the guitar solo done by uh, Elliot randall um uh steely Dan um, as they did throughout the rest of their career uh bringing in a hired gun yeah um and he,
1: he also uh did the solo for Kings, which we talked about before right yeah, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. yep and uh um uh, spent some time, uh, with Jay and the Americans, which I guess, um, uh, Don, Donald and Walter, uh, were affiliated with. Yeah. Um, but they, um, they had this song all written and I guess even like all recorded, tracked and everything except for this guitar solo. And they knew they, they wanted a guitar solo. They didn't know exactly what they wanted. Um, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see any, did you see anything about like how much he wrote or composed this or whether it was just kind of like off the dome? Uh,
1: I found, I found this from a guitar world interview. Um, where he said, this is just a quote, most of the song was already complete, so I had the good fortune of having a very clear picture of what the solo was laying on top of. Yeah. They played it for me without much dialogue about what I should play. Then he says, we did it in one take and right. nothing was written. Yeah, um, Baxter played the harmony parts, but my entire lead, intro, answers, solo, and solo, was one continuous take played through, well... We can get into the music nerd stuff of what it was played into, right? For once, I looked that up. (laughs)
0: Um, But yeah, one continuous take. So, and I mean, look, you know, he did like a little pre-planning, but he didn't like write anything down, right? And it didn't like compose anything. Yeah. So, I mean, pretty because I,
1: which is that's, I don't know. That's that's pretty uh, pretty amazing to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just like a piece of serendipity. I mean, I, I like I can't think of a Steely Dan guitar line certainly that I like better that's more memorable. And like you said, like having listened to it like dozens of times in the past couple of weeks, like doesn't get old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's one of their most like rocking songs. Like it it really has like a nice, um, it's anthemic and, Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, for me, I always kind of think of it as a mix of like a Rolling Stone and the boys are back in town by Ben Lizzie. Something about yeah. the doubled guitar lines. Um, yeah.
0: And the tone. Yeah, yeah. The guitar tone is, is like very, uh, is prominent, but yeah, like, in yeah, reminiscent. It's like, yeah, that fuzz, but like still pretty clean. Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and that's not a mode that I usually associate with Steely Dan, who are a little more, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know. They don't go for, they don't go for that often.
0: Yeah, it's true. It's like sort of like they, they, the, the horse is still, they've still very much got a hand on the reins, but like they gave the horse a little more lead than they, than they, than they normally do. It's yeah. still very restrained. Like I was, as we were listening to it, as, as we do uh, here in the uh, Oregon Hill studio, um, uh spun the track just before we cracked the mics um i was just thinking like how everything else like even as that guitar is just kind of like running wild and free like everything else is like very restrained like they cut off like those piano mm-hmm. like chord accompaniments like everything is still like crisp and controlled the the more i've been listening to it i think
1: because his guitar solo is so amazing it's yeah. e- easy to overlook like how much the rhythm section is doing in the song yeah like Jim Hodder's drums, like the the snare and I guess hi hat, it just like fucking pops. Yeah. And uh, Walter Becker's like bass line is, um, it's like the motor of the song. I mean, it's it's not it's not novel to say like the bass player is really <laughs> keeping things together, right, but, Right. Like it, with this, it, it gives the song a, a real bounce i think um
0: yeah and then even just even the piano part like this like where anybody else would have like a melody he's doing chord changes like they're you know playing over like fast changes so yeah um yeah killer song
1: yeah um yeah i could say a little more about that oh about yeah yeah that, the gear the, how for the, the gear is yeah. uh for all those for all our gearhead fans <laughs> who love our our sweet sweet gear content right um so his setup it's uh his old strat, uh the same one he had been playing since nineteen sixty five. Yeah. Plugged directly into an ampeg S I can't tell if this is a U or a v, SVT <laughs> amp and mic'd with a single AKG four fourteen. Yeah. Uh and then he says the whole solo just came to me. I feel very fortunate to have been given the opportunity to play it. That's so funny. What a beautiful sentiment. Yeah. Uh Something, I I guess, uh, something I think about with this song is uh, at one point I I said that Steely Dan to me were like guys that never got over college and still hold on to all those resentments. Mm -hmm. I kind of blew my mind when I realized when they recorded this song, Walter Becker was 22 when this album was released. Donald Fagan was only 24. They're... fresh out of college right that it makes sense to me now i think of them i've been listening to them as if they were already middle-aged men right when they recorded hey 19 they would have been 30 and 32 right like i've been wrongly associating them with the character in that in in their songs like the more i feel like they're the lead of most steely dan songs is kind of a middle-aged guy or that's how i picture it and uh
0: yeah, it's funny. Like now that you say that, I guess like intellectually I knew that, but like, I never felt that, but yeah, like they're all, so like they've always been like sort of like, a, like older than their years or something.
1: Yeah. This is like what went from me being like, why are they still worked <laughs> up about this girl that they dated right. in college or, you know, the songwriter is not necessarily the right. speaker of the song. You know, I, I went to English class. <laughs> But that that's how I right. Uh, it feels very personal. This song,
0: yeah. Well, and I mean, like we'll um, talk about it when those songs come up. But it, it does. I mean, I, I, when you said that, like, oh, these guys um, seem obsessed with like their college days or something. That that made sense to me because, like, you know, I, I feel like this song, like, there's like sort of like a, a Steely Dan MCU or something, cinematic universe. <laughs> that's like this song is like it's also the same as um, uh, my old school. Right. You know, there's a lot of. Uh, uh college talk uh hey 19 i think he talks about like um uh he went to college in boston <laughs> right 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 <laughs> yeah. um yeah but he talks about yeah like being uh, like the yeah the the college girls in in boston yeah
1: mm-hmm. um yeah yeah it's like do we want to talk about the lyrics or what what the song is
0: yeah i mean i guess we can um yeah, it's it's like it feels weird to talk does it, it feels weird to talk about the song because it's so sort of like omnipresent, right? Yeah, yeah. I um, guess like every day someone's born who never saw the Flintstones, but like um yeah.
1: I it could be a song like with all the Steely Dan songs like you just kind of hear it and you don't think about it,
0: you know. Uh It's true. Like I it took it was a long time before I realized it was not a happy song. Yeah. Like cuz I mean it sounds like sort of bouncy and fun.
1: Yeah, with those uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young uh,
0: yeah, uh, harmonies. harmonies
1: in the chorus, and just the general... I have a very specific memory of listening to this song, although when I investigate the memory, I think it might have been Night Moves by Bob Seger, <laughs> but I have a memory of being in the back seat of a car, yeah. pretty fucked up, in <laughs> college, just going... Like, I'm not going to scream into this microphone right now, but basically just atonally screaming it along <laughs> to the song going, are you real and the Real and not the ears? Not the ears? <laughs> just like, me and my friends just shouting that in the backseat of a car. It could have been Night Moves.
0: <laughs> but uh, That's funny. Do you know the Kyle name bit about Night Moves? Uh-uh. It's my favorite Kyle Canaan joke. Um, just, <laughs> it's so funny like, the way you're, it, it totally ties in. His... It, Apologies At least I'm crediting him Kyle Kinane My favorite stand-up comedian um, His joke is Do you ever get the kind of drunk Where you confuse Bob Seeger songs For the national anthem <laughs> <laughs> And then he says Take your hat off Dave Don't be a dick Night Moves is on That's good That's a great joke
1: uh, I have been so fucked up That I maybe Mixed up Night Moves for real And in the years Yeah for, yeah For
0: sure So you've never been Kyle Kinane drunk But you've yeah. been close
1: Yeah Um
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Like the the chorus is, is like those like happy, sunshiny harmonies. Um, uh, but yeah, and and then because I, I, you know, like the the, the line um, that I quoted at the top of the podcast. Um, You've been telling me you're a genius since you were 17, and all the times I've known you, I said I don't know what you mean. Like even that, like when I was like sort of like not studiously listening to the song, like it seemed like gentle ribbing to somebody that you were quite yeah, affectionate yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, and then you like, I know a few people
1: that I could throw that verse at almost verbatim and it would stick to them. Um, and I would mean it in that ribbing way. Right, right. Yeah. Um, but the, the rest of the song, you know, this is a, uh, it's a breakup song, I guess. Right. Like, uh, yeah. Would be the simplest way to put it.
0: Was well, it? Did you look at the All Music uh, uh, song info page? That's nah, like one of my go-to's nah. for research. I, it was interesting uh, because you picked um, a Dylan song. Mm. Uh, the reviewer, and I think it's like the same. It must be like one guy who's like a Steely Dan fan because I'm pretty sure it's the same guy every time. Um, but he said, um, uh, he says uh, it's a positively Fourth Street send-off to an ex-girlfriend or lover. Yeah,
1: yeah that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, that apparently in the liner notes, it it just says "How's my little girl?" Oh wow, for this, which is just you know um,
0: appropriately creepy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and also just like yeah, we're rock stars now. Do you miss me, baby? Oh, yeah. Like just. Uh, it, you know, I guess they were young men at the time. It's true. Uh, Not not that that's an excuse to be, uh, (laughs) to hold a grudge, but right. It makes a little more sense in that context when, than when I thought they were somehow 45 in (laughs) 1972, making this music. That's true. It's pretty gross. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think verse two is the one you quoted is, is my favorite in the song. Mm. Like, um, the weekend in the college didn't turn out like you planned like yeah what what a sick burn
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and then that's the one that always because like have you read the thing like the the story of my old school is like a thing that actually happened to them where drug drug, yeah yeah um yeah so so i i always felt like 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 i just felt like like you said like they're hung up with their college years and i was like or is it just that one specific story you know um because i think even it might have been that like they were already out of Bard at that time, but they were visiting somebody. Yeah, that but, yeah. sounds right. When we get to that episode, we'll right. Yeah, which
1: will true. be, I think, a sister episode to this one. I think of them as yeah uh, sister songs, right? Um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I read this review in the Guardian for the song. It was like a list of like great Steely Dan songs. This yeah. guy, Ben Beaumont Thomas, um, Good who, name. he describes it as having an almost wacky energy. Which, yeah, uh, it does, it's just like, it's bombastic, as we said, you know, it's, it's a yeah. big song.
0: Especially like grating on a steely damn curve, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I, I really like the, uh, this is a way he describes kind of that solo and its purpose in the song. Randall's guitar stutters into life with an affecting gawkiness, utterly in opposition to the swagger of the typical American Axe man. And then he says, where usually the solo is a kind of euphoric realization of a song's building energy, here it becomes, as in jazz, a place for the song to work out its melodic identity. And it does feel like the solo contains the song, yeah. even though it came last, technically. Right. Um, It's like the song feels like it's built of the component parts and energy of this solo that's, I mean, there's an intro solo and then... I guess the one that Jimmy Page and everybody else love so much is the the climax of the song. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, I really like that. And it for me it's not a song I think of as jazzy, but that kind of um, put, putting it like that made me understand see the jazz roots in it or their how their jazz influence plays out even in what is uh, maybe their biggest rock song
0: you know yeah 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 it's like the solo is like it's a rock solo done in a jazz mode yeah 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 yeah. that's and it's just like i can't like i'm bad about this anyway but like i can't not air guitar when this song is oh fuck yeah especially when it gets to like the. (laughs) i'm like i can't and like i'm bobbing my head it's ridiculous yeah nobody's gonna hold it (laughs) again
1: they better not for love and real the years
0: yeah yeah Good song and good, yeah, like we said, double guitar line, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah. yeah. And then just the, the we said like the lyrical rhythm. It's almost like, uh, I mean, I guess like there's not like too many different rhythms, but it is like a complex rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like it feels like the the lyrics are sort of like tumbling, like almost falling, and then but like keeping it in control. Yeah, which maybe is something they learned from Dylan.
1: Yeah. Uh, maybe I don't know.
0: And very precocious, sort of.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Good track.
1: Yeah, what what more can you say about a masterpiece?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does still feel like early dance. Like I feel like I became aware of this and like my old school. And what else would you lump in with this? Like the sort of like the more like digestible AM radio sounding dance songs. I,
1: I- I want to say Ricky, don't lose that number, but that's that was a, closer to jazz. That was getting
0: more jazzy, but that was another big single. Yeah, um, I think that was their biggest single, um, possibly. Yeah, which seems weird, but we'll get to it. Uh. <laughs> but anyway, but like there was like this, like there's like the AM radio Dan for like lack of a better term, and then there's like the deeper cuts. Yeah, um, and it's yeah, it, it feels like part of that world, even though like you said, it is like it's musically interesting and 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 has plenty of jazz flourishes and stuff like that, but.
1: It's one that you know, Kid Charlemagne is not going to hook everybody, right? Yeah, uh, this it's pretty undeniable. Like, right. It's it's hard to. I I don't know that I've met anybody that like would rail against the song,
0: right? Know. When you're trying to sell people on Steely Dan, they're like, "Isn't that a band for nerds?" You'd be like, "Well, they did that song," and they're like, "Oh yeah, that's right, like that was <laughs> yeah,
1: reeling in the ears." Yeah, yeah.
0: Oh yeah, well, I forgot my bit. Uh, my uh, my uh, my running bit. Um, best song that who never wrote. Shit
1: um uh, i don't know yeah
0: that's a tough one like i again my default answer for all these early songs is the eagles but this is way too good to be an eagle song but like those vocal harmonies most songs are <laughs> <laughs> fair maybe maybe crosby stills and nash but like it's still it's like it's too yeah they funky. don't normally rock out that way yeah um, and like yeah
1: Thin, template. thin Lizzy is all yeah, I got.
0: Thin Lizzy is the right answer. You're right. I, I, yeah, I, I forgot course. that you had said that. Yeah, Thin Lizzy is the right answer because yeah, it's, it's like the Fagan's vocal sounds kind of similar to. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm gonna forget the lead singer. Thin Lizzie's name. There's a giant statue uh, of him in Ireland. Phil
1: Line. Phil Linn. Yeah. That sounds. Why right. not? The, something. Yeah. Not, not.
0: Anyway, but it's like yeah, like a, a deeper voice with like a little rat, like a little edge on it, um, and then yeah, like that same sort of like tumbling but like confident delivery. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, this is the best song Finn was in it.
1: Fagan faking an Irish accent <laughs> as he does. Yeah, yeah, uh,
0: yeah, yeah. There you go. Final answer.
1: Yeah. Cool. Um, what does it mean to reel in the years <laughs> and stow away the time? What do you? What do you?
0: Oh, good point. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, this is like a good sort of like. Uh, like the Germans have like 50 words for everything or like the stupid thing about how like Inuits have 40 words for snow even though that's not true yeah. I guess this is like a good like sort of like very specific definition of nostalgia okay about like uh, like looking at something through like a Vaseline smudged lens like looking at something fondly even though you shouldn't be and like holding on to it a little too tightly mm-hmm. but like not obsessing just like yeah yeah
1: I I think of it as somebody who's just collecting experiences okay like they're reeling in the years and they're they're tucking that time away and uh they're storing up like kind of the hurt that they cause and stuff as just like like this is just a woman who's she wants to have some stories to tell in the future and what happens in the future you know where's how's
0: my little girl (laughs) How's she doing now? And you're just another notch on a bedpost. Yeah. You sirey sack of whatever you are. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, that's a fair read. Um, I always kind of wondered about, have Have you had enough of mine? Is that like, right, does that mean like, have you inflicted a sufficient uh, quantity of misery on me? Or like, are you fed up with hearing me cry? Um. Yeah, I, I took
1: it as uh, the first, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe maybe it is uh, him being like, "It what's the matter? I'm too
0: sad."
1: <laughs> uh, could do. I don't I don't know what that uh, <laughs> that voice was. Sorry, I liked it. Don't, I don't. apologize. will keep it. I'll try to keep it, keep it low. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I don't know if I have anything else to say about this dang song.
0: Well, we've only been talking about it for thirty
1: minutes. So. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Keep us moving along here. It's getting late.
0: No, no. I just, yeah. It's it's the same thing. It's weird. It's like it's like it's too big to talk about or something. Yeah. Everything feels obvious because it's such a big song. I don't know, dang. but I do love it.
1: Yeah. Listeners, tell us what you think at uh, what, yeah. What's our email again?
0: Uh, Stealing in the Dan at gmail.com or at Stealing in the Dan on Twitter.
1: We'll also say it again at the end of the episode. <laughs> Hopefully, if
0: I remember. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um. Cool. Let's uh let's talk Dylan.
0: Yeah, let's talk Dylan.
1: Yeah, that'll be a quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> quick. What? Joke. How much can you say about Bob Dylan? Yeah, good old uh, Robert Zimmerman. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Fuck.
0: Uh, so like a Rolling Stone. Um, very. I didn't realize this until I. I, I did like just a, like a bare minimum of research on this. Um, but I didn't realize where this was in his career that this was like right in that transition to electric. Yeah, um, yeah. So it was uh, recorded as part of um, Highway 61 Revisited. It snuck out as a single, kind of like I think it leaked because like the the label didn't like it. They thought it was yeah, too long, six six minutes, yeah. right? Um, but they snuck it out to a couple of radio stations, and and it was like successful. So it was a single, and then it was on Highway 61 Revisited. And I just saw like they said Highway 61 Revisited was his first completely electric album.
1: Yeah, I think he had he had dipped his toes in with um, God damn it, I can't think of the one before it.
0: Ugh. Okay, but this isn't yeah. like the first thing that he recorded after the Newport Folk Festival where he went electric for the first time.
1: No, I think this song. I think the Newport Folk Festival was in '65, right? Where he and he played this song as part of that set where everybody called him Judas or yeah. whatever. One of my favorites. Why can't I think of the album that comes before Highway '61? It's not a. Oh, <laughs> shit. Here, I'll look it up. Keep talking. It's, it's got subterranean homesick blues on it, I think. Oh yeah, um, yeah. And it's like there are some electric songs, and then there are kind of the longer, symbolic, folky ones. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> uh, there are people that study this man. There are <laughs> Dylanologists out there. People have written multiple books about him.
0: Well, so yeah, I mean, we could start. We can start there because, like, I mean, that's the one thing that I was definitely like excited to talk about was like, what's your experience with Dylan? Cause like, I know some yeah. huge Dylan heads and I'm not one. Like I'm not either. Yeah. I'm not mad at Dylan. Oh no. Yeah. I don't dislike him, but like he doesn't carry the same weight for me that he does for a lot of people that I know. It's not even
1: a distaste. Like it's not the, the reason I've listened to a fair number of his albums. Yeah. I've played some of them many times over and over again. Yeah. Um, as I was doing this episode, I had, like, honestly, I, it was hard getting me to listen to the song. And it's not so much, oh, like, uh, this is fucking homework or whatever. There's maybe some of that to it. But it's like, Dylan to me is like Kierkegaard or something. Like, I have to confront his work. <laughs> and it proves how little passion and authenticity is in my life. Like, it's just like... Uh... it. It's uh every time I listen to Bob Dylan I I'm like god damn it I've got to make some changes like Interesting. I I don't know how to explain that further. It's something No, I get it. Um it's like oh this guy's got access to the truth, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh maybe some of that's his reputation and I actually have an easier time these days listening to some of his goofier older stuff. Mhm. Like It's easier for me to put on New Morning Mm -hmm. than to listen to like Sad-eyed Lady of the Lowlands uh, for however long that song is, eighteen minutes or whatever.
0: (laughs) Bringing it all back home, by the way, was the album we were. Thank you,
1: God damn it uh
0: yeah this this album highway 61 revisited sits between bringing it all back home and blonde on blonde blonde on blonde's probably the one that i played the most jesus don't tell anyone you don't own fucking blonde on blonde <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's gonna be okay sorry um like i can't not play is hard to reel in, in the years i can't not quote uh high fidelity yeah
1: I, I i went and listened to that dylan song you were talking about from the high fidelity oh most too. of the time yeah yeah that's yeah, pretty good
0: yeah uh it's funny, I, like I know what you're talking about because like that's what every like all the big Dan heads say or not Dan, uh, Dylan heads say that and like everybody talks about him as like the one of the greatest poets uh, ever. You he know, won, he won the Nobel right. uh,
1: prize for literature.
0: Yeah, exactly. And like it is, I don't like I identify with what you said specifically about like um, well, it's fun, I'm like one step be, or maybe several steps behind you. Like Dylan has never hit me like that. Like it's never. I don't know. I can't access it for some reason. Like I, I believe, I mean, I would, I'd have to be like a psychopath to like look at the whole world saying Dylan's a genius. And he has access to this level of like emotion and truth that like few people do and be like, they're all crazy. Dylan's a phony. Like I believe it. And like, it it is like, like you said, like Kierkegaard's a great uh, um, metaphor. Like it is obviously like dense and like, there's a lot there, but like for some reason it's, it's inaccessible to me in, in, i don't know like i and, I, and there's like a, there's so much like pop crap that appeals to me a lot more than dylan and it makes me feel bad
1: <laughs> I, I don't i mean there's no reason to feel bad about no, I know. like yeah. i i would rather listen to real in, in the years than like rolling stone which mm-hmm. is was voted like the best rock song of all time it's always like yeah um you know the rolling stone magazine like a rolling stone <laughs> right. uh, you know voted it number one not that they're They've got really any cred. Um, <laughs> they might have at for one For me, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, to to expand on my pretentious Kierkegaard thing, <laughs> like both of them use like alias and masks to to like kind of um, you can't get a firm grasp on them, right? Uh, yeah, and, and that seems to be. I got, I got to the, I watched the Rolling Thunder review thing that was put up on netflix you know about this yeah yeah
0: recently scorsese thing right? yeah
1: uh, scorsese directing it, taking like footage of the rolling thunder bob dylan um concert yeah which was just this big kind of i don't know how to describe it like a very loose and kind of uh kind of kooky uh, road show yeah that he, him and a bunch of musicians um alan Ginsberg would open the shows mm. uh the documentary has footage of like Joni Mitchell and Ramblin' Jack Elliott and all these other musicians coming out yeah. and doing stuff. But I watched I watched that documentary and there's a line in it where Dylan says When someone I'm not gonna do that, <laughs> I yeah, fooled you guys, made you think I was. When someone is wearing a mask, he's gonna tell you the truth. When he's not wearing a mask, it's highly unlikely. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> that makes so much sense to me, but it's um what what uh, intimidates me about Dylan is just that like, you feel like for him the truth is just natural. Like all of this stuff that people are pouring over and like, what does this song mean? It's just like, he's not thinking about it that much because it's instinctual for him. Right. His bullshit detector is so keyed in. Right. That like, he's that like he's not being pretentious. It's just flowing out of him.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the one thing that I can observe in Dylan. And, like, I can see what everybody else is seeing. Which is that, like like you said, like, he's just 100% authentic.
1: Yeah. While at the same time being, like, there is no such thing as authenticity. Like, we're always playing a character. Like, his name is not Bob Dylan, folks. (laughs) Like, he's constantly changing who he is. Right. And the thing is, is, like, by changing who, like, reinventing himself is, like he makes you uh, maybe realize that that is how you live. You know, you, right. you're constantly, um, constantly reinventing yourself, whether you know it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's my long
0: rambling, uh,
1: relationship to
0: Dylan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. And like this, just like for me, like I, a lot of like my interest in music was, um uh, uh like a, my dad was like a very strong in, uh, influence on my like musical interests. And, um, uh, I thought my dad had like pretty Catholic tastes in music. Um, you know, he'd he to like everything. Like I said, we had jazz records. We had, um, you know, classical records. We had, um, we rock and roll. He had like strong opinions about like ZZ top and stuff. And I never, we never really talked about Dylan. Um, and this was the only Dylan record I ever remember being in the house. And it was a late purchase. Like, it was while I was in like middle school or something I mean, It was in that weird period where like, you know, people, you're, were,
1: you're saying highway 61 revisit. Yeah. Highway yeah, 61 yeah.
0: revisit was the only one that we had in the house. Um, and he had a lot of CDs and like, this was, you know, it was like sort of like, this was like, I mean, CDs had been out for a number of years, but you know, it was like presumably whatever Dylan albums he had, he had on vinyl way back in the day and they were either lost or we didn't have a record player. So like every once in a while he'd buy an old record on CD. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was the only Dylan that we ever had in the house. Um, yeah. So like I, I, was, I you know, the, the, my dad's musical tastes are like very like prominent in my in my mind. So I was like, "There's something about this album that's important." Um, and I do I like because um, uh, this is like I re- I think like his big song off of this was um, uh, Highway 61 Revisited or no, um, what's the uh, you're saying
1: big as in successful or
0: no? Like my dad, like I think oh, the oh. reason my dad bought bought it was. Um, What's the one out on highway 66? Isn't it? Oh no, it's out on highway 61. Highway 61 revisited. Yeah. Yeah. You can tell how much I like Dylan. I don't even know the lyrics of the song. Yeah. Um, (laughs) but that was, that was the song I remember him like putting on.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, I mean, I probably, when I first started listening to the album, I was more likely to listen to like tombstone blues or something like that, which is a little more fun uh, than this. But, uh, I think because this song is like the Hamlet of rock and roll. It's yeah, like, it's almost like you're n- not allowed to have an opinion on it or something. You know, right. when when something is so uh, canonical that it's kind of uh, you're like, well, shit. What what can I offer to it as a listener? Yeah, because I mean, anytime we're taking something and we're bringing something to it, and that's mm-hmm. that's part of our interaction with it. And when something's so codified as right. this is the big one. But when I was going back and listening to it like like a Rolling Stone is it's kind of a crazy fucking song. It's like it sounds to me like it's it's like a wooden roller coaster or something. It's just like falling apart as you're listening to it. It like does like as it's Mm -hmm. hitting the chorus, it's just like stomp crashing in. Right. The instrumentation is insane. Like it's clearly loosely played. Um, yes. Very ramshackle,
0: yeah, like super jangly piano.
1: Yeah, and it's it's just like, oh, this is this is the greatest rock and roll song of all time. Yeah. Like, it's kind of cool to me that it's like the most canonized rock song is is uh, yeah. is dirty and sloppy and and weird. Um,
0: yeah, I guess that's true. There's something very rock and roll about that. Yeah, the fact that it's not like this like studio masterpiece.
1: Yeah, it's the opposite of Steely Dan in that sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, where it's like, I didn't know this, but Al Cooper, the guy who plays the organ, which other than Dylan's voice and lyrics is the the thing that people know of the song, right. you know, or like the most prominent aspect. Right. He didn't know how to play organ. <laughs> he like snuck into the session to play guitar. He was like, I want to play on a fucking Bob Dylan song. Mm. So he's like hiding out. And then um, I can't remember who the guitarist on the song's uh, name is, but he he comes in and starts like warming up. Yeah. And uh, Al Cooper. It's like, oh, shit, I'm out of my depth. Yeah. So he goes and pretends to be a reporter. <laughs> and then he realizes, like, the guy who's was playing organs hops on piano, and he was like, fuck it, I'll go in there. <laughs> he didn't know how to turn the organ on. And then the next thing you know, he's just like, he's watching them to see what the chords are, and he's playing organ for the first time in his life, and uh, is all of a sudden in, like, this huge, iconic rock song. It's so um, crazy. He, he says you can always tell he's like an eighth of a beat behind because he's watching to see what the chords are. <laughs> and it's like, the, that's part of the charm of the song is right. that it's, it's, it's I like listening. I listen to the sessions, uh, like the demo tracks or whatever. Yeah. And the song changes in each of them. Like right. the the mood of the song, the way it's played, the instrumentation, it's like, it's an amorphous living thing. And what we've got is just like the one time it sounded like that, you know?
0: Yeah. Which is, is crazy to me. Yeah. And like my two minutes of reading, they like this literally in the Wikipedia article, they just, they said that like it was a troubled production and they, they tried it in three, four time for a while and that didn't work. And then somebody was like, Oh, let's just do it like a rock and roll song. And they were like, Oh, this works. Yeah. it, Yeah.
1: it, It sure does.
0: That's so crazy. And I guess like we have that problem, you know, it's like I always say about the Beatles, like, um, it's hard to, you know, like, how can, how can we look at this song, you know, 50 years later, like <laughs> we'll never have ears that never, that didn't grow up with like, not just this song, but everything that this song led to, you know? Yeah. So it's like, that's the one thing I can picture, like you said, like hearing this in 1965 probably was just like, what is happening?
1: Yeah. Well, that, that Springsteen line that, uh, um, when he inducted bob dylan into the rock and roll hall of fame he said this song sound like when that snare hit it sounded like a yeah. door being kicked open in his mind <laughs> right which like every time i hear that snare hit now i think of that because, right because um it's such a great line like i can't imagine what it would be like to right be like oh yeah rock and roll is this one thing and then like what you know right
0: like it's i mean i can't, I can't even think like in 65 you're still it's like there's, you're probably still hearing like a lot of like skiffle and stuff right like yeah, I, I mean, well, I think a lot of the early
1: rock and roll shit is like amazing, but um, yeah, there was
0: nothing like this. Right,
1: there was nothing like this dirty and sloppy, but also intellectual.
0: Right, I mean, like that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I'm, my chronology is so bad, but like the Beatles are probably still doing something. Like, I want to hold your hand. Well, th- this song I
1: think hit number two mm-hmm. on the charts behind Help. So, okay, that, so
0: they were starting to get interesting.
1: They were, yeah. And I, in you know, everybody, I don't know, like, people will say, like, well, the Beatles heard Dylan and that's when they got real weird.
0: Right, you know, right. I don't know how true that is. Apparently, yeah, every album was inspired by another album I'm yeah, going all the way yeah, back to.
1: Uh, pet, they heard pet sounds and they knew <laughs> right. they had to get weird.
0: But, but pet sounds was a reaction to, the, to Rubber Soul. And, yeah. yeah.
1: But I don't know that Bob Dylan is reacting to anything. Yeah,
0: course, well, that course. that's what it's going to say, right? Yeah. Like, Bob Dylan's not. Yeah, that's why, I mean, like, he's always just doing what he, he's just doing his thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the reason I picked this song, obviously, is the, the kind of, um, direct address breakup right. song. Um, although calling this a breakup song is like a grotesque oversimplification, I guess. Yeah. Um, cause it, I was like trying to pin down, like, what's the emotion here? Yeah. And it's like contempt. Mm-hmm. But there's also like wisdom in it and there's right. um uh empathy and, and there are in different versions of the song, like there's you can hear more of that warmth. Mm-hmm. Um It's it's not that the song isn't scathing because it is. Right. But it's like it It feels almost now I don't want to lean too hard into like blowing smoke up a song's ass that is already uh pretty cheeched out but uh <laughs> it's it feels not just like a guy cutting oh, down an axe but like uh no almost like a a manual for how to live a little bit, where it's like
0: yeah, I was gonna say like it's not even clear to me like I, I if if he said obviously, well, obviously if he said it but like if somebody told me like oh this is a song about one of his ex girlfriends I'd be like okay sure but like yeah. it doesn't that doesn't seem obvious to me that it's like about a personal relationship
1: yeah yeah maybe when I called it a breakup song that's that's not
0: no but I correct. mean it, it's a it's a, um, it's a takedown yeah
1: like a like and it the the subject is female yeah. right but this isn't Bob Dylan. Like if it was just him going like, look,
0: bitch, like
1: right, it, it would be a very, um,
0: well, cause it, there's nothing about like what she did to him. Right. It's like, or, or what how they did together. Is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just like you were in a high place and now you're in a low place. Yeah.
1: Um, and like, like it could be look like what your right. values, like right. you, you're kind of just trying to, um, fit in with a mm-hmm. different class of people or like these kind of shallow people like look where that gets you. It right. gets you nowhere. Yeah. But at the same time the song it feels like okay well now you're kind of starting at the bottom like this is also an opportunity like right. um, when you have nothing you have nothing to lose Right.
0: Um, no secrets to conceal.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow, yeah. Something kind of eastern about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. The only other thing I've got is you know everybody when Dylan goes electric this is the this is the line i thought of and i i don't think i fully believe this but this is the moment the sound of that snare is not the sound of Bruce Springsteen's mind being kicked into this is the moment where boomers realized <laughs> we can stop pretending to care we can stop caring about social discord and start caring about the social like start pointing our anger at the social climbers who won't fuck us anymore <laughs> like there you go. we can finally channel all of that radical energy <laughs> yeah
0: oh right yeah into, yeah
1: into yeah. into the women who uh, wronged us in the past right, or, right. or wronged themselves and how we're superior to them yeah the song does not actually feel like that <laughs> and i don't necessarily believe that but right
0: uh it's the beginning of the end of The Summer of Love. Yeah. In, in 1965.
1: Yeah. I, heard, I also heard a, a demo where he says, uh, instead of, in the opening lines, like, once upon a time, you threw the, the bums a dime. Yeah. He gets it mixed up and he says, you threw the dums a bime. <laughs> <laughs> and he keeps going. And yeah. then he's
0: like, "Oh," He kind of
1: stops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> For half a second, he's like, is that something? Nah. Uh, no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it almost sounds like something. Yeah, threw yeah. the
1: dums a bime. Uh oh, and also maybe worth mentioning, uh Can't buy a thrill, uh maybe named after a Dylan song, the album. Oh, okay. Uh there's a line on the same album as this, um it takes, it takes a, a lot to laugh. It takes a train to cry. Right. It says, uh, the opening lines of that song are, Well, I ride on a mail train, baby, can't buy a thrill. Oh. So, maybe a uh, Steely Dan Connection after all these, I think there's, there's got to be an influence there. I know that they've said it sure. you know, they, they like Dylan. But, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Cool. That's a good one.
1: That's all I've got on the greatest fucking song <laughs> of all time.
0: <laughs> Apropos of nothing, the only Bob Dylan's album I've listened to a lot is Nashville Skyline. Yeah. That's I mean New Morning is his
1: goofy born again one and that right. was kind of like, "Oh, I really like this." Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've been I've been jamming a lot to Isis after seeing um which is on desire after watching that Rolling Thunder review. Okay. It's always been one that I've liked a lot, but he does a killer version of it in that, which I recommend even if you're not a Dylan fan, everybody should watch that documentary because it's it's uh it's a great document.
0: Yeah, we talked about, um, but we we talked about the Last Waltz, right? And you said you hadn't seen it. I have not seen the Last yeah. Waltz. I mean, shamefully. that's like that's like uh, that's Dylan and Jason. I mean, Dylan's in it, but it's uh, about the band. But they, you know, they talk about, um, you know, they were the ba- they became the band when they were Dylan's backing band, right? Um, but uh, yeah, it's a good one. And like having seen the Last Waltz makes me want to see the uh, Rolling Thunder Review because they're with Scorsese. Yeah. Cool. All right. Uh, From (laughs) 2002, directed by Roger Avery, uh, based on the novel by Brett Easton Ellis, The Rules of Attraction. Yeah. Um,
1: (laughs) Uh, Where do you want to start
0: with this one? (laughs) Um, So, uh, if you're not familiar with the story, um, I guess, just to grind it, right? So, like, Brett Easton Ellis uh, is a notorious, what do they call him? Like a, a literary bad boy or something like a, a g- exactly
1: the words I was going to use. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> a gadfly. Like by the time this movie comes out, he's like well entrenched. Like, I mean like his, it was his first album or album. His first novel was less than zero, which was yeah. Yeah. adapted into film in the eighties. Um, and then American psycho had been adapted before this.
1: Yeah. In 2000, I think.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, but all of his books, um, or at least especially like his early books were all about these like they're like very like cynical nihilistic Mm -hmm. just like bad people doing bad things and like there's there's no real like redemption or anything a lot of a lot of cocaine energy yeah um, yeah he's like lumped in with um who's the writer of bright lights big city yeah Yeah. right right that sort of like class of like uh he's been like he, he made a very good career out of like taking down like the culture of the Reagan eighties, which like, but also kind of being a part of it. Right. Exactly. And like, now it's like, I think the, 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 the broad consensus seems to be that he's kind of insufferable and he's like dragged this bit on a little bit too long. And
1: he's now kind of maybe best known for having a extremely contrarian podcast. (coughs) Yeah. His latest book is a book of essays called white. Yeah. Um, that, uh, kind of pushes it back against the snowflake generation right
0: right so yeah so I mean that that's Brady's Nellis and this this book is about you know so you know um, it's a the book tells the story of a handful of people at a northeastern uh, college in but, the I, the books probably set in the 80s the movie is just said contemporaneously yeah, yeah. In, the, in 2002 um. Yeah, and just like their attempts to like hook up and score drugs, and uh, the the emptiness of their figure out what they want in life and
1: hedonistic existence. Uh.
0: But yeah, like something about like processing that. Um, uh, <clears throat> reeling in the years was this like send off to uh uh, uh, uh an ex lover, like <laughs> I don't know, like this movie like le- leapt to mind for me. Yeah. Um. It makes sense to me. I remember really enjoying it. Um. When I first saw it. And now I don't know. (laughs) Well, no, I know I don't like it as much as I used to. I don't know if I like it at all. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Well, and it's like, it's really hard. I mean, like, I watched this, like, sitting next to my wife, and this is a really hard movie to sit next to your wife and watch. Um, Yeah. Yeah.
1: I. I had seen it in high school, and it was kind of part of that um, wave of when I was younger. I, I'm assuming most young men do this, where you kind of watch a lot of stuff that makes sex and drugs look tantalizing yeah. and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. So like, I don't know, uh, Larry Clark's bully um, mm-hmm. kids stuff like that. Right. Um, Requiem for a Dream, although that mostly just makes them look terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Train Spotting. Right. Um, clockwork orange mm. I, I to me this movie's got some clockwork orange vibes in it yeah um so i thought when i was sitting down to watch it i was like oh i'm gearing up for a nice fun night of amoral uh, uh <laughs> rules of attraction yeah and uh, right from the first scene i was like oh no <laughs> this is not gonna be a fun time at the movies yeah not that i th- i mean the content of it is obviously like I knew in high school like this is bad stuff that's happening these are bad people
0: well the movie says that too I mean it's not glorifying any of this but but the style and kind of verve to it it
1: used to feel kind of fun and like darkly funny um, before I had any like real world experience with this stuff or real
0: world awareness of it is there any chance because this is what i've been wondering too is like right is it just like being 19 that makes this movie seem good or was it like did it seem more like of its moment did it feel more necessary in two thousand two? somehow? I don't. I don't think
1: so. No, because I didn't see it in two thousand two. I mean, I probably saw okay. it a little later than that. But uh, I didn't see it in theaters.
0: But I saw it around the time it came out.
1: Like I, I remember reading kind of contemporary reviews of it, where people had mixed feelings about it. And, yeah, and it it gives you an icky feeling, and maybe it's supposed to. Uh, yeah, or it is. I mean, I think. It's hard to draw a bead on the the morality of Roger Avery, like, what he thinks about all of this.
0: Yeah, Roger Avery, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I read something where somebody was like, Brett Easton Ellis is one of these people that's like, they pretend to be nihilists, but, like, they reveal themselves to be moralists. Like, they're clearly Mm. judging all these people. Yeah. You know? Um, Roger Avery, well, speaking of that, like, we can do a quick sidebar on Roger Avery. I knew nothing about him before this. Yeah. Other than, like, he was a producer on... um, fiction Mm -hmm.
1: and and like co he kind of wrote he has a co-writing story credit on it i think he came up with one of the he did
0: the outline for the watch yeah yeah okay right um but yeah so like i guess um i mean he knew quentin tarantino somehow and got involved with him and yeah maybe
1: video store buds or something
0: something and but but he had directed a movie killing zoe Mm -hmm. that i don't know people have opinions about but i guess was a a little that's not very good (laughs) i'll tell you that a little indie film um, and then I, I don't I mean I don't know he's just a weird guy and then like at some point he was driving drunk and got in a car accident and the passenger in the car died so he was yeah. charged with vehicular manslaughter yeah, yeah. Uh, did some time in jail mm-hmm. and then that seems to have kind of been the end of him I don't
1: well I I don't know he's he's out of jail um, right
0: right well I mean, he's got a website or something yeah I know, I,
1: and I think he's maybe contributed to some screenplays or like tried to get projects off the ground yeah. Like, I don't know if he's been exiled, uh, from Hollywood necessarily, right. or if he was just uncommercial to begin with. So he's not going to get work. Yeah. He co-wrote the Beowulf movie. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. That was his other big thing. Yeah. Uh,
0: but that was before he, um, yeah. Before he went away. Before he killed somebody. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know, but somebody mentioned that, like, uh, Brett Easton Ellis, like, adapting a Bret Easton Ellis novel was a natural fit for him or something. So I guess he was sort of like a bad boy of cinema or something.
1: I I remember that Killing Zoe movie being very, like, 90s nihilism and, like, not aging well.
0: Um, Better or worse than Generation Doom?
1: uh, I kind of liked the Doom Generation. (laughs) Doom Generation, sorry. uh, Because I... I think there's a, a, a satirical edge to that that may, maybe killing Zoe doesn't Zoe doesn't have <laughs> okay, uh, but yeah, uh, should we say who's in the damn thing? Sure, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. So your main stars are James Vanderbeek playing Sean Bateman. Uh, it's well, did they mention it in the. M- can't remember anyway like it it's reveal yeah yeah like he is patrick bateman's brother patrick bateman of american psycho it's Does definitely he call him at one point like he something. calls him on a payphone. he calls well, patrick well it's it, i think um uh, paul calls him and he like at first he thinks it's patrick or something okay anyway, yeah but anyway it, it means nothing in the movie itself but he's patrick bateman's brother sean bateman uh shannon Sossman plays laura hind or hind um and then ian sommerhalder plays paul denton yeah. um yeah. Uh, yeah, Sean Bateman uh, wants... Sean wants to uh, hook up with Lauren. Lauren wants to hook up with Victor, who's mm-hmm. played by... Uh, Kip um, Pardew. Yeah, Kip Pardew. <laughs> um, Victor doesn't really care about anything because he just got back from Europe. Um, yeah. And uh, Paul wants to hook up with Sean. Yes. Uh, and Lauren and Paul used to date. Yes. Uh, yeah. Lauren uh, is...
1: A- Virgin, when right. the main action of the movie is taking place, yep. she's uh uh deflowered in a um horrible situation in the movie's opening moments. Yeah, that's how the like movie one starts. of the most, yeah, that's when I, yeah, <laughs> it was like, oh yeah, that's how this goes. Yeah, like, this is not you know Animal House for the two 2000- thousand. Well, no, well, if yeah, it I mean, is, it's it's I mean, Animal
0: House like played true to tone, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so like I'll reveal like part of I was a um, well I'll fess up like I was a huge Dawson's Creek fan okay like unironically Scott is blushing (laughs) I know (laughs) uh yeah, well, it's, it's one of those things I feel like people sometimes do that as, like, a pose. Like, oh, I was a big guy uh, Dawson's Creek. But I just I – just, I, I don't know. Like, I was in the Marines. Like, I spent a lot of time watching DVDs. Like, for whatever your opinions are in the Marines, I spent a lot of time in the barracks watching DVDs. Uh, and, like, I don't know why, but I bought, like, a season of Dawson's Creek and then subsequently bought all of them. Yeah. Uh, we. I, this true story, like uh, – <clears throat> I was in, uh, Okinawa, Japan, and there were frequently during the summer months, typhoons, mm. uh, which is just a Pacific hurricane. Um, uh, but so there'd be, you know, heavy winds and rain. So a lot of times when the typhoons were bad enough and this frequently happened, like we would have to, we would not be allowed out of the barracks. Mm. Usually you'd have some warnings. So like you could go try to stock up on a bunch of like snacks and beer and stuff. Um, uh, But you'd be, like, locked in the barracks and you were not allowed out. And one time I got locked in the barracks with, like, some guys I only knew a little bit. And, like, they were like, what the hell are we going to do? And I, like, kind of sheepishly was like, I have these Dawson's Creek DVDs. And, like, they, I thought they were going to punch me. But, like, they were so desperate for anything to do that they, we started watching them. And, like, they were, like, at first they were just like, this is the gayest shit, dude. You're so gay, blah, blah, blah. And, like... Uh, and then I just like we got like seven episodes and I can still remember this dude Benson who was a good dude but like kind of a meathead Um, I can still remember when when uh, uh, when Joey is about to kiss Pacey for the first time he was like he jumped out of the bed and he was like don't you do it Pacey don't you kiss her (laughs) and I was like never prouder of anything in my life than the fact that I had turned like three meathead Marines into Dawson's Creek fans yeah Anyway, so... I've never seen it, but I, <laughs> now I'm kind of interested. Well, so James Vanderbeek plays a very different character in this than he does in that. And that was, like, exciting to me at the time. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I think that was maybe, the to the extent that this movie got coverage, what it was getting coverage right. for it was, like, Dawson's going
0: bad. Right. Because you know? they literally put in the trailer him punching Jessica Biel. Yeah. Which, oh, again, God, is another I thing forgot. that got felt a in, lot better in 2002 than it does
1: now. In, in the... Um, the assault of terrible things that happen in this movie I yeah. had forgotten like in the scheme of things him punching Jessica Beale yeah kind of gets washed away
0: yeah like that seems like oh, yeah
1: that's I guess that's bad you
0: know? um, yeah well this is, like also part of me being like a shithead 19 year old like I was like well like you know this is like me be like well actually it's progressive because she deserved it and like he treated her like he would treat anybody who's that big of an asshole
1: yeah. and it's, like, um, no
0: no no
1: <laughs> it doesn't work that way sorry bud uh,
0: you're climbing up the wrong face of woke mountain there yeah
1: um yeah uh Vanderbeek's character is like a fucking vampire in this movie like he's
0: yeah it's weird he's like at the same time kind of like a meathead like an unthinking meathead but i don't know i mean i mean he's like he spends a lot of time like staring in his own navel but like yeah he he's like literally and figuratively he, uh,
1: I think he's drawn to Shannon Sossaman's character because there's like he thinks there's like this purity there, right? Um, and he's kind of like we get into his. I feel like his character, the movie's somewhat fairly balanced amongst everybody, but he's kind of the main perspective of the movie. Maybe that feels right. Um, and we get to hear his head as he like goes to parties and he's like. Okay, I could hook up, or I could go back to my room and jerk off, and like, you know, smoke a joint, or like, yeah. he's just like a,
0: a creature of these habits, and yeah, uh, I mean, he literally says in one of his monologues, like, I pretend to be a vampire, and it, I, I think he's like his monologue is literally, he's like, I, he's like, I like to think I'm a vampire, and then he's like, I, I am an emotional vampire,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah, even have uh, fakes dead at one point, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, with sort of tragic results. Yeah, for his
0: relationship. Um, so I guess like like maybe I can say this for the movie though, because like I mean that's an interesting thing. There's a lot of voiceover, right? When there's yeah. the the thing from adaptation, the Robert McKee line, uh, "God help you if you use voiceover." Mm-hmm. Um, but like you would have to do that. I mean, like this book, like if it was just the people's actions, yeah, it really would just be like an exercise in misery, and there would be yeah. no point in watching it. Like so, like I was just like, is it? Is there something interesting in like the way like? this is a successful adaptation
1: Mm.
0: of like I haven't read the book but I assume gross material yeah yeah I assume it is Um, and like I don't know like stylistically like I just I mean like the, the, the Jessica Biel getting punched is very stylized but like I mean I still love that shot um the the one where, where like Shannon Sossman and mm-hmm. James Van Der Beek, like get up and go to class like separately. To, to the Donovan song. Yeah, on a split yeah. on a split screen mm-hmm. and then and it's like what, like four minutes long. I mean there's That's, cuts in it and stuff, yeah, but yeah. like there's four minutes of split screen and then like they are walking towards each other in a hallway. So like what you are seeing on the screen is a split screen of two people walking toward camera. And then like the camera like swings back so that like you're now you're you're next to them standing face to face which I still don't know how he did that it's it's one of the most impressive things in the movie
1: there's there's a lot of wild style choices right and all of them which I still
0: that stuff I still like
1: yeah they're gimmicky but they're all motivated like they seem gimmicky but they're all motivated kind of by thematic concerns like right that part of the movie is like one of the only true moments of connection in the movie right even though like Shannon Sossman uh, is like giggly, and
0: they're both stoned. Yeah,
1: yeah. They're, she just smoked a joint. Right. <laughs> like they, they're, it's still not this like totally pure moment. I guess not that. Neither smoke, of them are not seeing not that smoking each other. Weed makes you unpure or something, but uh, but
0: but like neither of them are seeing the other person accurately. Right. Yeah, they're and both seeing what they want to see. Yeah,
1: and that's kind of like the whole movie is like everybody is chasing an object of desire yeah. that is just a projection, and uh, like. They like do they even want to get what
0: they're after? Like right. Um, well, I mean, they seem like like yeah, it almost like they seem like they already know that if they got it, it would probably dis- be disappointing. Yeah, But like one thing that I caught on this viewing was I was I was actually surprised. So like, and there's a lot of like it, there's a lot of like time reversing or like you know something happens and then they cut back to the origin of a, origin of it and show it from another person's perspective. Um, that stuff is all interesting. I mean, it makes sense from the guy that worked on Pulp Fiction. Um, yeah. But um it it literally starts with the voiceover. I think on a black screen. It starts with um Shannon Sassman um voiceover saying and it's a story that might bore you um something 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 and then she says I always knew it was going to be like this. Yeah. And then we cut back to um Paul. referring to
1: her losing her virginity but also more than that. Yeah, right, like life,
0: yeah. yeah. Um, and then when they cut back and Paul does a voiceover, he says something very similar. Yeah. He says, um, everything is preordained Mm -hmm. and, uh, So then I was like, "Oh, I didn't notice this." Like, however many times I watched it before, and I was like, "Oh, like everybody has this worldview." But then Sean actually lets you down. Like, Sean never says anything like that. He just says, "Like, uh, uh, why not rock and roll?" (laughs) Um, That's like his sort of like opening thesis. But it does like I seem like these people like feel like they're stuck, even though they're like the least stuck people in the world. There's a lot about like time, bad
1: timing, like
0: yeah. um, But they feel like they're at the the mercy of the fates or something yeah yeah um and they they just expect everything to turn out bad
1: yeah they're they're all like they're all real aware of the void inside (laughs) right right and the void inside of them is like their defining characteristic like it's it makes for hard viewing kind of (laughs) right (laughs) Um, but
0: anyway, so you need the voiceover. Because, I mean, if not voiceover, you have to do something to show. Because, like, the story is what's happening in their heads. Yeah. The story is, like, how they're processing reality. If yeah. it was just their actions, it would be pointless. And
1: the, the movie, the way it's assembled is kind of, I mean, even with all this stuff about time, mm-hmm. it's it's a loose structure. Like, it's... it's yeah, uh, it's like snapshots. It's a movie of scenes is yeah. how it plays.
0: I mean, it literally is, like, mostly parties. Mm. There's some stuff outside of the parties. But, like, they put up these, like... Title cards for the parties, and I don't know about you, but like
1: when I think back on the movie, I remember scenes more than yeah. kind of the the themes, like right the the stuff
0: with Dick. Uh. <laughs> Maybe the Saving Grace. Yeah. I was like, I remember loving that part, and I still love that part.
1: Yeah, uh, at one point, uh, um, what's the guy's name? Paul.
0: Paul. He uh, gets called home. He has to go. Well, he has to go into the city. To meet his mother, and played
1: by uh, Faye, Faye, Faye Dunaway. Dunaway, and who's the other woman? She's got a hilarious name. It's like Swoony Kurtz or yeah, something. Yeah, S- yeah,
0: Swoony. She's, like, a great character actor. I for, uh, I'll find her. I'll have the cast. But, yeah. And, like, this this is the part where, like, I I could still watch this. every Like, like reeling in the years. Like, any time this scene comes on, I could watch it. I, I remember getting quoted by my friends. Like, it's Dick. <laughs> and yes. Like, <laughs> that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, my brother and I would do this. Like, like still to the. I mean, like, yeah, we spent a lot of time going, I'm sorry. It's Dick. <laughs> Uh and the, but the, still the one that we still like almost any time we part each other's company, one of us goes, You have a good one <laughs> What's the what's that actor's name too? Uh yeah, let me get the cast. Um Okay. Uh so the cast. Uh uh Faye Dunaway plays Miss Mrs. Eve Denton. Um uh, yeah, Swoozy Kurtz plays Mimi Jared. Swoozy and uh, Richard's firstborn daughter. Yeah, uh, who plays Richard? It's Dick. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's Dick. Um. Anyway, um. They get uh. It's seriously. It's like they just left him out. Or I'm spacing it.
1: Paul, while well, Scott is finding this, yeah. Paul, Paul is called away. He's supposed to meet Sean, who who nothing was going to happen with, anyways. Right. Um. He's called away to like have dinner with his mom or something and mm. um we see that his mom and her friend are pill poppers and <laughs> wine and, moms, yeah. Yeah. Um uh, also known as alcoholics. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But he meets up with this um I th- also like another gay son right like this the, um,
0: yeah like nothing is spelled get, out but it seems like they grew up together maybe or, they
1: like used to casually hook up right. like you get that kind of vibe and yeah. they basically like they get fucked up and they sing George Michael's faith together uh,
0: well, he's like already because yeah another one of the great lines like he's already drunk he's like yeah. well, he walks into the room like so supposedly I guess like he like Richard and, and Paul are gonna have to share a hotel room it's sick yeah <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm gonna just keep doing it on purpose. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, so they like they're gonna share a hotel room, I guess, because they're old friends. Their moms don't know that they hook up or don't care. Um, but he's like got a bottle of Jack Daniels and he's like already drunk. And mm. uh, in fact, like his mom, Susie Curtis, uh, comes in and says, uh, "I leave you alone for five minutes and you're drinking." And he says, "Drunk? I am drunk."
1: <laughs> it's it's basically a show stopping, just like a character yeah. coming in and. Uh, this scene really serves no purpose except for to take um, Paul away from Sean. Right. But it's mostly just to goof off and have this, like, great great little vignette.
0: Yeah. I can't believe they, they – I don't know. Sorry. Like, it's just Wikipedia is failing me. They just, like – they mention him as being the son of – but they don't mention the guy who plays him. Mm. Uh, anyway.
1: Well. We'll find The – you know you think of Victor's trip to Europe, which I guess is a separate movie too. Like Roger Avery has edited that into a a whole nother movie. Like there's this part where the character Victor goes to Europe and it's it's like handheld Mm -hmm. cheap 2002 digital video and a super fast montage of this guy kind of like listing the things he did in Europe, and showing him like just like making out with models, taking acid. Yeah, um,
0: it's. I mean, in the movie, he's like, he's 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 like uh, recapping his trip to Europe to mm-hmm. like friends at a party, but like they're showing like these like fast little like um like two second shots of like the the things that he's that he's talking about and it's like that's the one thing that it seems like the way that everybody quotes the guitar solo from Reelin in the Years. like it seems like anybody who's interested in this movie like that's the one thing that everybody pulls out is like mm. that thing's cool
1: and and he, apparently roger avery has an entire movie version of that okay like the footage they shot in europe edited into a longer movie that he can't show because there's illegal things in it um, <laughs> okay which kind of um, makes me wonder, you know, what what his view on the morals of all these characters is? Because right. there is an attraction to kind of this gross behavior in it. That I mean, I'm not going to tisk tisk him too much. The man's done his time for a <laughs> killer <regular> manslaughter. <laughs> yeah, geez,
0: yeah right. uh, One hopes that he's punished himself more than the society can ever punish him. But yeah. uh, uh, by the way, uh, Rus- Russell Sam's uh, Russell Sam's uh, played is, is, is Dick. Um, uh, yeah. You get
1: you get a scene with Fred Savage as a heroin That's addict. also
0: delightful. <laughs> That's like maybe even better than I remembered. Yeah. And that was a huge deal because like in my memory, like we just hadn't seen Fred Savage. Yeah. It was since like the they Wonders. found Fred Savage yeah. in a college dorm room.
1: Right. And he's a drug addict now.
0: Yeah. He's like shooting up heroin and like playing the clarinet with a cigarette. Like, oh my God. Like that scene is like maybe even better than I remembered it. Yeah. For me,
1: the standout this time was there's a scene where Jay Baruchel, yeah, uh, plays uh, a freshman, a freshman in kind of Paul's like gay crew, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, who thinks he's overdosing on something, and they drag him to a hospital, and Paul Williams plays the doctor, yes. who just like very dryly is like. Well, he's dead. There's nothing I can do. <laughs> and he's like, "What? No!" <laughs> like, yeah, um, that made me laugh, and I had forgotten about that. Like, that's a great. Paul Williams does such a fucking great job in that scene. Um,
0: yeah, I had forgot about it, but then like when it started happening, I was like, "Oh right, yeah, the guy, the crazy guy." And like, I and, like in my memory, I was like, "I don't, I don't remember." I was like, "I like my memory of watching the movie was that like the movie is unclear about whether he's just like a." a nut job that found a pair of scrubs and is like wandering around the, the hospital. Or if you know, like I, like I was like, does the movie is the movie saying like this guy like actually is crazy. And then I was like, Oh no, no, no. As, if, a, for some reason it's much clearer to me. It's just like, it's, uh, it's, it, it's like the, it's like the, it's the, the boring shift at the hospital. And he's just fucking with these kids. Yeah. 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 He knows that they're he's, not actually over. <laughs> he's just he's over like it all. Kids. Yeah. yeah.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: That was great. Uh, yeah, always, always love uh, the uh, the Richard scene. Um, I had a huge. Cr- I mean, another part of the this movie. I had a huge crush on Shannon's Osman. She's at that. Time. She's, um, there's a
1: part in the movie where a guy's like, "Did anybody ever tell you, you have like a silent movie? Oh yeah, vibe? yeah." which is something that I feel like I absorbed in my brain and maybe have said to a woman before. <laughs> yeah. And now I feel gross about that. Yeah. But uh she she does have like um uh just like an amazing screen presence. Right. Um and I mean her character is maybe the most virtuous one or and I don't know if that's on, like virtuous isn't the word i'm looking for although maybe she is but yeah um she's the most sympathetic i don't know if that's just it's weird yeah i don't i mean i i don't know she she makes the movie more bearable um <laughs> yeah that's that, it's just like because there are moments of lightness with her i mean obviously obviously i mean the movie opens um yeah uh, the way it opens is not a moment of lightness, but um, she has some some nice moments in her performance that yeah. um, remind you that maybe there is something human about these characters. Like,
0: well, she yeah, I mean, like she's never like she's never like purposely mean or cruel, which yeah. like almost everybody else in the movie is. Although Paul's not really. I mean, Paul's like dismissive of his friends, but like yeah, he's he's more self involved
1: than, than Sean. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they're all, I mean, they're all a mess in a bunch of ways. Right. Yeah, but she's, her, also her, like, object of desire being this guy who Mm. um, we find out, in the guy, Victor, who goes to Europe, like, who we see is just, like, he literally doesn't remember her. Um, Right, yeah. Like, it's just, it's misguided. Right. um, And not willfully misguided, like, Sean and Paul's crushes. um, Right, if if that I don't know if that I don't know if I fully believe that, but
0: that <laughs> yeah I don't know. Um, so the other thing uh, that like the one thing I wasn't looking like I I knew was dreading going into this was uh, so there's a there's also like this like sort of like mystery at the center of it that's revealed toward the end. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> because like part of the reason James Vanderbeek Sean has a crush on uh, Lauren is he thinks. She's writing him these love letters that he keeps finding in his mailbox. And then like in like the back third of the movie, you find out that like it's this random girl who's like been in several shots. Just like in the corner of the frame. Or, they do that, yeah, they yeah. do this clever thing, well, you didn't notice her either. Yeah. Um, but then she like she commits suicide on screen. Yeah. By uh slitting her wrist in the bathtub. And like that is like the only like on screen death that has affected me more than that is uh when um I forget the actress's name, but when the robot kills um, Oscar Isaac in um, Ex Machina. For some reason yeah, that... I never saw it. Oh, um, <laughs> sorry. Spoilers for Ex all Machina. Right, that's right. Um, for some reason, like, uh, might have been, like, the stuff that was going on in my life while that was happening, but, like, like, that... I mean I've seen like plenty of things that are way gorier than that but like for some reason like those two like that one in Ex Machina and this one just felt like very visceral like I just like the physical sensation of Mm. dread yeah Um, and it's like uh, this one I remember the um, it's literally what is it uh, air supply I can't (laughs) live if living is without you that and like the way that that goes distorted like the audio goes distorted and the camera goes fuzzy it's just like I mean it's like I hate it but I have to say, like, it's very effective visual storytelling.
1: Yeah, yeah. It. Um. First of all, I forgot about the love letters thing. I take yeah. back the thing about uh, them being willfully um, right misguided. Yeah. Um. I don't know how I feel about this scene. It's kind of the if there is a moral center to the movie, it's that you realize. Um, oh, like, this kind of... These games of misplaced desire, like, they have a real cost. Right. The way it's executed where it's, like, this, like, subliminal thing, and it goes back and shows you, like, see, she was in the movie the whole time. It's like, well, yeah, even you relegate her to to the sidelines of the movie. Like, and now we... I guess the point that they're trying to make is, like, see what happens when you're, like, not paying attention to the people around you. Yeah. And like, I'm not sure that... I, I don't know. I'm not sure that it works for me entirely. It feels uncomfortable to me in a way where it's, like, implicating the viewer in the suicide in right. a weird way. Where I'm like, no, you focused <laughs> on these other characters. That's not on us. That... Like it's not like we could be like no tell us more about this person in the corner <laughs> right right and uh, you know this person also like they don't know anything about Sean their their view right. of him is is blinkered as well so th- this person may be in the same boat as the protagonist like the the three main characters right. where it's just like no you're just falling in love with a projection and chasing something to fill the emptiness inside of you. Uh,
0: yeah. It's like the reason I'm glad we do this podcast. Like the, talking through it is helping me process like how I think about it. But it's like it does it, it sort of clarifies for me that like – I mean it, it convinces me that like this is just like a shock thing. Like the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. It's just like let me show you shocking things. Isn't this shocking? And it's yeah. like from that standpoint, like I do kind of agree with the, the reviewers. are like, okay, like but to what end? Yeah.
1: And it's like I don't know that I want it to be like – these are bad people. Like, I don't yeah. want it to do that either. Like, right. Part of, I, I don't like Requiem for a dream because it's so like shrill and like, right. Um, punishing, um, to both the characters and the viewer. Mm-hmm. And I don't want this to be that. Like, I kind of like that. There's maybe a bit of f- fun to it. Like there's a real verve to it. That yeah. makes, um, makes, it's not,
0: yeah, it's weird. It should feel a lot bleaker than it does. Yeah.
1: Although I'm not saying the older shit, I, like, the older both of us get, I guess the bleaker it feels. When, yeah, like, I mean, I
0: guess it's, it really was just something about sort of like the naughtiness of it or something. Yeah, it, mm. maybe
1: we're just less horny. You know? <laughs> it's totally possible. No, I'm, I'm sorry, way speaking less. Speaking for horny. myself, I'm yeah. much less horny. <laughs> yeah. Um. um the, I did not want. I do not want to go to college there. Um, no.
0: <laughs> What's you know? It's so funny because like yeah, that those one like uh, my wife sitting next to this. She was like, "Does this?" and she was like jokingly she was like you know like with an elbow in my ribs being like aren't you sad you missed out on college you know and I was like eh. <laughs> it wasn't like that for me and I'm yeah. glad that it wasn't it's funny like one reviewer I read was just going off about like I don't think there he was and I like I believe him on this party it's like I don't believe that there's a college in America where like literally half of the party is women dancing topless like rubbing on each other yeah and if that school exists like where's that school where like the men at that school are just blindly walking through that party like like you know having conversations about playing quarters or something yeah it's yeah. like yeah i mean but i mean i i don't i don't even think brett Easton ellis would would feel like attacked if you said like this doesn't feel like a real place yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah i don't know
1: yeah. great soundtrack though yeah 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 um great so soundtrack
0: it's funny like everybody keeps saying like the soundtrack is done by this um uh, duo called tom and andy like yeah. as all one word tom yeah. and andy um which I, I don't know who they are, but, um, but, yeah, it is a great soundtrack. It's, like, um, it's very, like, electronic, but, like, with a lot of, like, classical samples. Mm. Um, oh, f- The one thing we haven't mentioned. Eric fucking Stoltz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. Does <laughs> Eric Stoltz exist to be hated? I Because that's all I can do is hate him. He I, He's the main character
1: in the guy's other movie, Killing Zoe. And, is that right? And uh, I think he's a piece of shit in that, too. <laughs> um. I
0: think he's, like, in real life a piece of shit. No, I no? feel
1: like he might be a really chill, cool guy,
0: but I don't. Is that know. possible?
1: I don't know that. Watch, I'll like look it up, and he'll have been me too'd or something. And I'm like, <laughs> well, he no, one- was
0: a cool guy. I mean, the one story I do know about him was that he was fired from Back to the Future. Like, they right. shot two thirds of Back to the Future, and yeah. then fired him. Oh being- yeah, maybe he is a dick.
1: We'll we'll do some further research. Get back to you guys with some fun anecdotes about Eric Stoltz next. Yeah. next episode.
0: Because the guy that played Biff has this great story about how like he hated Eric Stoltz, and like the scene where. They're supposed to fight in the lunchroom. Was well, I mean? He's going to beat the crap out of Marty, and but like Marty like pushes back on him. Mm. Like uh, he said, like Eric Stoltz kept like hitting him really hard in that scene on the collarbone, and he was His like method, <laughs> right? And he kept saying like Hey, dude, like pull it, like because they had to t- do a bunch of takes or something. He's like Hey. Quit, like I pull it dude Your this hurts and, yeah. they, and he wouldn't do it and so like he was really looking forward to the day when they shot the scene when when Biff punches Marty because he's like I was gonna punch him for fucking real and he got fired the day before we were gonna Damn. shoot that well, <laughs> anyway yeah but Don't. anyway uh anyway I think rich I think Eric Stoltz exists to be a hate sink yeah uh, and he's very hateable in this movie
1: he yeah he plays a sleazy college professor who just fucks students yeah or, or gets them to blow them. Uh, there I think uh there's a quote on the chalkboard in his oh, classroom yeah. that uh feels like a good summation of the movie's themes. Love matches, as they are called, have illusions for their father and need for their mother.
0: <laughs> yeah. And that's uh Nietzsche. <laughs> Nietzsche <laughs> Nietzsche. Uh his uh, office is also or yeah, his office is also perfect. It's like just like the right like like hodgepodge of like uh uh cultural artifacts from around the world yeah. and like he turns up the stereo and it's playing some like german classical music or something yeah. it's
1: like, oh god i've met this guy i will th- i'm gonna throw this out there i just thought of this if they make a steely dan biopic he might make a good donald fake <laughs> fuck you forever
0: <laughs> fuck you forever <laughs> you know <I'm> right <laughs> i know that's why fuck you forever yeah um yeah uh, <laughs> the only other uh, I have a, a ton of notes but the only ones I'll, I'll mention are um, uh, the oh well no that's a good one like the drug dealers how do we feel about the drug dealers let's uh, cut it cut, <laughs> cut it from the movie. it's totally unnecessary yeah. that's true but I, like one of the other lines that my brother and I constantly quoted each other is I need you like I need an asshole on my elbow right here he
1: lifts his elbows an out. asshole
0: <laughs> <laughs> that guy i remember his performance being a lot better this time i was just like jesus christ dude this is like clown like literally like clowning
1: that uh, it occurs to me uh, that that the way that that line is built is kind of an echo of <laughs> the uh, line you liked from inside lewin davis where gene says um oh yeah uh, oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like um, you being shit <laughs> right right yeah. right um yeah little fun little fun
0: for the listener <laughs> the <Yeah>. longtime fans <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, but so uh, the the one note I had was like um, he so he takes the um, the sort of like uh, squirmish kid uh, that like I guess Paul had hooked up with before, and now he's like he seems upset about the fact that like Paul hooked up with him. Yeah,
1: he's he's uh, he's no homoing owing
0: <laughs> Yeah, um, but anyway, like so he he's apparently friends with uh, Victor, mm-hmm. and he and Victor are trying to score drugs. It's one of the
1: kids from American Pie.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, but so like Victor does the classic "I buy you fly" thing, and so this kid has to go along with uh, with Sean to to go get the drugs, and it's this madcap caper. Uh, but uh, he drives a yellow Mercedes, and I like as soon as it was on screen, I was like, Jesus Christ, a yellow Mercedes. And then Sean Bateman in the movie goes. Uh, nice car. Didn't know it came in banana. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. This is the one time I like Sean. <laughs> and then right at the end, I was like, uh, he's like riding his motorcycle through the snow. And I was like, uh, does this motor? Does this movie know that like riding a motorcycle in the snow is like painful? Like it's... Oh, wow. Yeah. If it's 50 degrees outside, it's painful to ride a motorcycle. And he's riding it in-, in the snow. Yeah. But- well, he... He's nothing. He is, he is nut.
1: He feels nothing. He's dumb. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think the, 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 the way the movie ends, too, it just like cuts off mid sentence. Which I think is directly taken from the
1: book, if I remember. Yeah. Correctly. Yeah. I, um, yeah.
0: I think like it starts and ends the exact same way that the book does. But yeah. like at this point, I was just like, eh, I'm done with you. Yeah. 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 No, yeah. no. Rules of attraction. <laughs> the rules of attraction. If you're 19, go watch it. Yeah. Uh, if not,
1: you know, <laughs> give it a give it a pass. Maybe uh, watch something else instead. Yeah. Watch Witt Stillman's Damsels in Distress. That's oh like yeah. A, watch a, any Witt Stillman movie. Yeah. They're so much better. That that's a movie about college where it's about what if really positive people went to college and tried to actually uh, make the people's lives around them better. Yeah. Yeah. With Greta Gerwig.
0: Yeah. 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 Watch any Witt Stillman movie. Um, the Barcelona trilogy or what's that? What what's that one called? The. Metropolitan Trilogy and
1: yeah. uh, Barcelona and Last, last days, days of, of Disco. disco. Yeah. Great
0: movie. Yeah, good, Great one. good, good movie. Great movies.
1: Oh, don't smoke. I'm <laughs> oh, <smoke>. no, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. about to here, Richard. I don't think.
0: <sighs> My name is not Richard.
1: Oh, well, then what is it? Dick. What? Dick. You heard me. No your name is Richard. Sorry, it's Dick. <sighs> <laughs> well then Dick. How is school? It sucks car.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it was good yeah. Um uh well um uh, Joe is uh, spoiled on mine um, I uh, got a boosted board which is a ridiculous thing um, but uh, I do love it um, cruising around the city on an electric skateboard is all I want to do these days uh, it's been super fun uh, other than that I was up in uh, northern Michigan we have like a, a very rustic cabin on a lake up in northern Michigan and if you haven't been to northern Michigan I can recommend it okay. uh, yeah. uh, northern Michigan and and boosted boards um, oh and uh since last we recorded, I went to the um, record release show of a band called Sleepwalkers. It's a local Richmond band uh, on the Space, Bo- Space Bomb label. Uh, and I had not really heard them before, uh, but they are delightful. Um, I recommend... what, what, uh, what kind of jams they got? It's like Power Pop, I would say. Okay. Um, um, pretty rockin'. Um, but yeah, especially if you can see them live. Like, they were tremendous live. But I also recommend, their, I believe it's called Ages is the new Year. Okay, cool. It doesn't really fit in with the rest of the space. Ages, album. ages, yeah, Asia. Like, <laughs> you want to say Asia? Ages. by Steely Dan. <laughs> it's not quite that good, yeah. but uh, yeah, perhaps that's why I have such a fondness for it. Is the is the is the um uh, the nearness to uh, a beloved album? Uh, but uh, let, let's uh, let's, uh, let's uh let's turn these tables. Uh, Joe, oh, oh, good. Oh. <laughs> what's good? Oh yeah. Um. Well, Scott.
1: Um, uh, it's, you know, I've watched a few, quite a few things. Um, I don't want to go into all of them. There are a few things that I may want to use for an episode. Okay. I will say I had the office to myself for a couple weeks. weeks okay. or for a few weeks. And I, uh, to stave off kind of the loneliness was playing, um, some ambient and ambient adjacent music in the background, which is not something I usually do. Okay. And I dove into like Eno and stuff like that, but mm-hmm. I also found a couple uh, less known things that, that are good. Uh, I don't want to say good background music cause I think they're worthy of close listening to, but, um, an album called loop finding jazz records by Jan Jelinek. Okay. It's kind of, um, it's, I guess all jazz samples, although they sound totally, um, you wouldn't be able to tell. Deconstructed. Be- yeah. It's, it's very like glitchy, but chill at the same time. Yeah. Um, perfect for the office or a late summer walk. This know? is straight up my alley. Yeah, you 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 might really like it. It's um it, and it's like electronic music that sounds um very organic and uh mm-hmm. and nice. And then uh another um uh, that guy I guess is from Germany, another German guy, uh, Gas. I listen to Koenigsforst what I mean. it's a it's a German I think word for like forest <laughs> uh, something forest Yeah. Uh, apparently the guy used to trip acid in the forest as a kid and that's like his biggest influence for his music and it's got like kind of a house like thud to it Okay, but with like very like uh, warm um, uh, drones on top of it Okay, uh, warm like organic sounding drones I know. so I would check that out yeah um And I think the other thing that I was going to talk about, I'm going to make the assignment for next week. Okay. So I'll just, yeah, Loop Finding Jazz Records by Jan Jelinek and K-O-N-I-G-S-F-O-R-S-T, one word, by Gas. Those are my
0: what's good recommendations. Cool. I will definitely check those out. I might need you to text them to me, but I will definitely check them out. Those are right up my alley. Are you familiar with uh, uh, Kruder and Dorfmeister? Critter and Dorfmeister. Yeah, no. it's just like a, a German techno duo. Yeah, no. I, I
1: I really I, wish when I had gone to Berlin in February, I'd like actually like instead of like laughing about like oh all the electronic music Get clubs funky, like. It's- I probably would have fucking loved it.
0: Did you? Do you? Are you a Choppa listener? Choppa yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you hear about their time? Yeah, yeah. Dare Funky Beats.
1: They, they. I feel like wanted to be ironic about it, but yeah, genuinely, it won them it. over. They were yeah. won
0: over by their Funky Beats.
1: Have you ever been to Berlin? No,
0: but it's I want to
1: go. Great. Yeah. That's also what's good. Not from the <laughs> staff month
0: Well, if I could say, yeah, I could say Northern Michigan. You can certainly say Berlin. Yeah, yeah Berlin is good. Uh, great. It's fucking good city, sweet. Um, yeah, I keep hearing that. Yeah, for some reason, yeah. Like I know like several people that have been to Berlin recently, and I keep hearing that. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I'm excited to get to the uh, assignments for next week because this is that I've never been more excited to 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 do something. Okay. Uh, uh so next week, uh, we will be talking. Is there any other business? Um, I feel like we I could always ask forget. Dakota, something. what's good? Oh yeah, I listened
1: back on some old episodes, and we do it sometimes. Let's do it regularly. Dakota, what's good?
0: What's good, Dakota? Oh man, I was expecting a. What did you learn? that's um, coming you'll too. Get, you'll get one. Yeah. yeah okay. That we do every time. Oh god. What's good? Um what's good is um watching those videos where soldiers are reunited with their families like for like hours on end. It's, Hell yeah. Just to see what that feels like is a cool human experience.
1: That's uh I, we uh our our friend Jessie uh I think she watches something every day that makes her cry. Once a day And I think she said That that's one of One of the ones In her uh, repertoire I got hit her up.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah You guys good. You got some list. good ones Yeah I got some great ones <laughs> Yeah
1: It's like Pokemon Is it, it, it What inspired you To start looking at that
0: um, I was interested To see if I could cry
1: Yeah Yeah And what'd you find out A little water Yeah A little
0: water works Yeah, little yeah I, got, I got a couple tears out
1: That's good that's, it's healthy. It's good. Exercise the ducks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they get dry and constricted. I had a professor in college that had some sort of crying disorder hmm. where when she tried to cry, the salt of her tears, like salt deposits would try to come out of her eyes and it was extremely painful.
0: Ooh, like kidney stones for the eyes. Yeah. Good night. No, thank you. Yeah. That's yeah. And then I, probably <laughs> ironically, you want to cry when that happens. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's cycle. Mm hmm. Terrible. Well, cry if you can do it pain free. All
1: right, Scott, you were excited. Crying good. Fire in the hole.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, okay. Yeah. So, like, I um uh, I just I'm I'm proud of this connection. And I I mean I, I the thing I'm about to re- uh, assign to you to listen to I uh enjoy very much. I'm a big fan of it. But like I, I'm not excited because I think everybody should be a big fan of it. I was just like this as I was listening to Fire in the Hole, trying to think like what can I recommend for yeah. for next week. I was like, oh my god. I know, what, I know what I'm going to recommend for next week. So, anyway, next week we will be talking about track seven off of Can't Buy a Throw, which is Fire in the Hole, which yep. is a song I had like almost no opinion about uh, before like studying up for next week. Same. And I was listening to it and I was like, this like driving, sort of like halting piano, I was like, this is. I like I already have the answer I'm going to spoil it uh the the best song that Blank never wrote this is the best song Fiona Apple never wrote that's a okay. fucking Fiona Apple song <laughs> all right and so my assignment for you for next week from 1999s Uh, when the pawn hits the conflict he thinks like a king what he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight and he'll win the whole thing for he enters the ring there's nobody to batter when your mind is your might so when you go solo you hold your own hand and remember that death is the greatest of heights and if you know where you stand then you know where to land and if you fall it won't matter because you'll know that you're right track one uh on the bound although i'd be happy to talk about the whole album
1: Okay, I it first of all Guinness Book of World Records winner for longest album title if I remember correctly. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh I have only barely heard Fiona Apple. Uh so this I'm excited cool. to to give that a try. Yeah, yeah. Um good deal. My pick I had one thing loaded up for weeks now. Yeah. And then on the drive over here, I decided to switch it to a movie that I just watched recently.
0: Calling an Audible. Yeah.
1: Um, I'll say what it was originally going to be, which was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Okay. Which I haven't seen since high school and was interested to revisit.
0: It's been a long time for me, too, yeah.
1: But what we're going to do instead, this is an on-brand pick for me, <laughs> it's a two-and-a-half-hour French film from <laughs> 2005. Sweet. Um, Arnaud Desplachand's... Uh, Kings and Queen, Kings and Queen. Yeah, I do have a copy of it. Oh, cool. I want to watch it again though. So okay. we'll we'll work it out. We'll figure it out. But uh, yeah, hopefully it's relevant. Uh, I think I can make it work. Cool. But yeah,
0: I'm excited. Yeah,
1: good deal. Uh, well then, <laughs> you apple and two and a half hours. <laughs> French. It's an entertaining two and a half hours. It's or it's got a lot going on.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. The only thing that I the only thing that I require you to do is like listen to Fire in the Hole and then like like make a playlist so that you can hear Fire in the Hole and then immediately hear On the Bound. Yeah, like I've we'll never do. been prouder of any connection in my yeah. life. Like Fire in the Hole is a fucking Fiona Apple song. Yeah, um, um, all
1: right. Yeah. Which is like
0: to her credit, you know. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I doubt. I don't know if she would say Steely Dan is a big influence on her, but like, I don't know Yeah, you know. she's a cultured woman. Yeah, she is a cultured woman. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, one imagines we can't do this podcast long without getting to a Paul Thomas Anderson movie.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I don't know which one. What's the yeah? Most we'll find Paul it, Thomas Anderson and uh, we'll Steely there. Dan movie. Yeah, if nothing else, uh, Boogie Nights for Peg. Yeah, fair. Touche. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. Well, then there's only uh, one last piece of business. Yeah. Uh producer Dakota. What'd, what'd you learn about Sealy Dan? This <laughs> Look at, week? Uh, Looking oh, at this screen hard. like he like he didn't know it was coming. If I <laughs> pretend like I don't know, maybe it won't happen. What'd you learn about Sealy Dan this week? Um mm, I learned that like who which one plays the guitar? Um Well, Elliot Randall plays the solo on this song. Typically yeah. Walter Becker is the uh, okay. Elliot Randall can play guitar like a motherfucker. That's true. Yeah. Absolutely. True facts. Yeah. That's right Also cool I learned that uh uh Forest in German is "Därforst." <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, that sounds right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool deal. All right. Uh, well, we will see everybody. Uh, same Dan time, same Dan channel. Uh, check us out. Uh, I, I did remember. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can uh, uh, hit us up at um, stealingintheDan at gmail dot com or uh, uh, slide into them DMs at uh, at stealingintheDan uh, on Twitter. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Or you can email my mom at... <laughs> Just kidding, Don't. I'm not going to say it. Yeah, she she her inbox is like full. She's yeah. a busy woman. She well, what do you good fucking nonsense. mean by that, sir? <laughs> no, with work stuff.
1: Yeah, she's got a new dog. We don't need... <laughs> All right, this episode's over.
0: Bit ended. Oh, good right. night. Uh- I spent a lot of money and I spent a lot of time. The trip we made to Hollywood is etched upon my mind. After all the things we've done and seen You find another man The things you think are useless I can't understand Are you reeling in the east Showing away the